Support Narrative's independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative and check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to subscribe and download. Hey everybody, welcome to Narrative Live. It's good to be with you. Hello, Eric Garland. How are you doing? Hello, Ziv Shalev. How are you? I'm really good. It's so nice to see you because, I mean, we've spoken before, but I've never actually had interactions. And uh, and here you are. Uh, you're Twitter famous, literally. You're one of the people who can be described as, as a Twitter celebrity. Somewhere between that and $4 will get you a latte but, yeah. and a lot of laughs. So. <laughs> well, maybe we'll get some tonight. Uh, for those people who don't know a lot about you, you describe yourself as a strategic intelligence analyst, which sounds very, uh, very interesting, fascinating, and smart. But why don't you tell us exactly what that means? So my, my job is doing analysis of huge sets of data about society, technology, uh, economics, politics for leaders of business, government, uh, intelligence agencies and whatnot. And been doing that for over 20 years now, so it's really sticking. And uh, what happened uh, that kind of uh, projected me onto the Twitter sphere was in on December 11th, 2016, about four days after the intelligence community uh, ordered a full assessment of what just happened with Donald Trump's election and foreign powers. I wrote kind of a Cliff's Note version of what they came up with on four days after that, and it caught a lot of attention, uh, good, bad, and indifferent. And uh, ever since then, we've all been trying to make sense of, uh, of the crazy world uh, that we've inherited with as much uh, fast-paced data as possible. And all these people uh, who had something to give uh, of their own expertise, you know, have been offering it uh, freely. That's been become our little community mm-hmm. on Twitter, uh, trying to parse through public data and um, government reports and all that. So uh, we're all just showing up to be citizens of a democracy, and I'm I'm doing my part like everyone else. So. You know, it's uh, it's one of the best gifts I think I've ever experienced in journalism is having this. Uh, uh, this community of people who are just desperately interested in finding the truths, and and it's also a, you know the largest crowdsourced uh, investigation ever. I think when you really think about the number of people who are involved in trying to get to the truth on the story, and it's remarkable to, to have everyone uh, pitch it in the way they have. Uh, you've done phenomenal work in explaining a lot of this tonight. We're going to try get some of your skills to look at uh, Michael Flynn. You know, there's a there's a story about Michael Flynn that we're we all think we know. That's probably uh, the one that's in the main narrative. There's also the story that uh, you can learn about on Fox News. That's a whole other narrative. Um, and then there's somewhere in behind all of that, yet another story, which is probably closest to uh, the truth. But it's, it's hard to get at that very easily. So what we're going to do today is try unpack some of this. And the reason why I think it's so important to do this. We've let Barr get away with a lot of things over the last year. We understood that he was covering up on the Mueller report. Then we let him do the same with Stone. Now we're doing the same thing with Flynn. And we sort of are getting to a point where rule of law really is being challenged. I mean, at some point, you can't say that you're going to keep politics out of the Department of Justice if you're doing all these actions. Uh, and he seems to be continuing to do these actions. Now, I know there was a development today. You pointed out earlier that Shea, the... Uh, uh, he's the he's been the interim United States attorney after Barr got rid of Jesse Liu right. and uh, some of and uh, Brandon and Grack, uh, the prosecutor from uh, who's at the National Security Division, who who prosecuted uh, Flynn 
resigned from the case uh, because Barr was putting in Shea as a replacement to do exactly what he wanted, essentially what looks like obstruction to any uh, honest person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, only 24 to 48 uh, business hours after Judge Sullivan in that case said, oh, are you going to come in and try and renegotiate a guilty plea with my court? Okay, well, let's open up amicus briefs. Oh, who do we have on deck? The Watergate prosecutors. Come on in, folks. If, is it time for alternative points of view? Well, there's plenty of people with expertise. Let's bring in the Watergate uh, prosecutors. Oh, you know what? I have to take myself out of this. I don't want this to seem biased since you're kind of insinuating that with your nonsense here. Let's get an amicus curiae. Maybe Judge John Gleason is retired. You remember him from the Eastern District of New York, you know, that would have Brighton Beach and all the the Russian mafiosi. Oh, what was his claim to fame uh, as a prosecutor before he became a federal judge? That's right. He took down the Gambinos, Columbos, and John Gotti. All the more the merrier. And 24 hours later, Mr. Shea decides to, uh, I don't know if he's opening a golf shop or uh, is gardening. I don't know what he's doing, but he he, he left the scene pretty quickly. He, he thought he should. He was going to lose his job regardless. But still, that's, uh, that is good, good news for those of us who still believe that there is rule of law and a sign that it is still functioning effectively. So today, let's go through what happened. November 8th, let's start there and go step by step as we look at what Michael Flynn did during this whole process. Now, November 8th was the election. Two days later, Obama warns uh, Donald Trump that he's, it's not a good idea to hire Michael Flynn. He had concerns about him. He had issues with him. Can you tell our viewers a little bit more about what Michael Flynn and Obama broke up over? Well, first, to get the full context of, of what's happened with Michael Flynn becoming an uh, unregistered foreign agent for hostile powers after being at the head of one of our defense intelligence agencies. Mm. Uh, it's really without any form of precedent in terms of the people who take the oath to the Constitution of the United States. Um, you know, Michael Flynn had a, a, a 33 year career in intelligence beginning, I believe, in 1982. And he had many, many uh, senior positions wherever he was at, um, you know, not just doing analytical intelligence in the back room somewhere, but operationalizing it in the combat theater. Uh, he's a man with three master's degrees, and he worked up uh, the chain to one of the highest positions possible. And somebody else who had that job before he did was James Clapper, who's had a 55-year career in intelligence and became uh, director of national intelligence um, you know, that's the kind of the rarefied air where Mike Flynn was. And, you know, some of the backstory that precedes him becoming friendly uh, with Russia, too friendly, and as we now know, uh, very open to working with other governments other than the United States. Um, you know, you have this illustrious career with uh, quite a few uh, intellectual um uh, things that he'd given the community in terms of, you know, really advancing the field of making intelligence work on the battlefield to get bad guys and save lives. Yeah, he did um, some really good, impressive stuff, didn't he? I mean, at the end of the day, before he turned, whatever he turned, he was he was doing he did some decent work out there. I mean, one of his uh, one of his papers that people in my field would recognize. Uh, I think the, the 
um, metaphor they use is ghost hunting about really rolling intelligence of figuring out where you need to collect from in an urban environment where you might have uh, you know insurgents and terrorists and how do you feed that back into the 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 bigger intelligence loop. In other words, you know, this is this is a true professional uh, who works with same and uh, you know got the recognition of presidents. And then uh, I think the the common story is around the time Stanley McChrystal, uh, his mentor or at least a very close colleague of his, was dismissed summarily by Obama following a very unflattering um, piece in Rolling Stone about uh, the leadership over in Afghanistan, in which I believe. Um, McChrystal was quoted uh, being very uh, harsh in his criticisms of the president. And in, in he, the wasn't alone. he wasn't alone at the time. And there were a lot of people criticizing the president at, the, at that time. When you're, oh, of course not, but when, you know, any president. But mm. when you're a general officer, we have the principle of civilian leadership. Mm. And so people who are uh, high level officers and even, uh, you know, anybody enlisted or, or uh, officer class, they're not going to comment on politics because we are not Myanmar. We are not North Korea and we have civilian control of the military. So everyone knows they're trained. You do not speak in public about your political opinion. That happened. McChrystal was dismissed and Flynn apparently was very uh, incensed by this and that set him on a quite a path. And he actually uh, became director of, of uh, the Defense Intelligence Agency, um, which is the Pentagon's direct uh, intelligence agency that has um, that has responsibility for assessing the kinetic, particularly capabilities, i.e. Uh, what we they can blow up and why, hit us with. Why did Flint get so upset about what happened to McChrystal? Uh, I mean, I think if you had somebody who was uh, a close colleague, if not a uh, mentor or friend, who you felt got a raw deal, mm -hmm. uh, you might be very angry with uh, with what happened to that person. I don't know enough right. about their personal relationship, and I don't have a comment on uh, whether anybody was justified. But you can see that you know these are just people, and if uh, somebody that you that you worked with and you felt des deserved more than just a summary dismissal. Right. Um, you know, you might be you might become very angry, and apparently he be got he became more radical over time, and got really into a very partisan um, worldview. In this case, right wing. As an intelligence professional myself, I, I just see the extremes of politics in terms of the horseshoe, which is Russian military science for getting people in a single culture to argue as if they're not citizens all in the same republic. Right. They they love that part. Uh, they love to do that, and that's why they put you know uh, you know the extreme left in and the extreme right in in multiple countries for a century. Uh, so I don't care which side you go down. If you're going down a side and not looking critically, particularly if you are in the business of intelligence and you are taught this that mm. this is how this works to get super partisan is kind of considered a uh a you know an analytical weakness mm. um i saw you know my time in dc for 20 years uh you know i saw uh, starting in the, in the late 90s i it was it was being partisan in the government much less in the intelligence world was was really considered um gauche it mm. was like do you really believe the puppet show? Do you not get it? Like, especially if anybody had clearance and knew secret things, it's like every every story, every narrative that you ran into was not like it was on the news. You mm. were seeing behind the curtain. Um, you were seeing what the real mechanism was. And you even understood why that needed to be compartmented because if such a thing was broadly known, 
there could be major damage either to United States interests or allied interests or just in general people could get hurt uh, or um, mostly one of the reasons that we handle these things with such care is you don't know how important something is. And so that's why when you have a, you know, when you have a job like this, you really treat it with a lot of respect in terms of what information you let out, who you talk to. And Mike Flynn, uh, for, you know, we end up, when we come into this story November 8th, he has really gone out on a real extreme. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, there are stories of him bringing very partisan information into his workspace and even a story, I believe, of him trying to get a consumer grade internet line put in at the Pentagon, which I think was a very confusing order uh, <laughs> since their, their IT is, is really well controlled. <laughs> and it's like, wait a minute, what, what do you want, ESPN in here? What's, what's That's... going on? Um, so so he somehow he turned, off... but we don't know how he turned. We just know that he... Uh... He got somehow infected by a, a, the wrong kind of information or something made him believe that the United States was on the wrong path. He started going off, uh, I think, around the time he was um, dismissed by President Obama and he retired. And um, then after that, that's when he started doing the really unthinkable things like going and making plans with uh, hostile foreign intelligence services and, you know, just for the you know viewers' sake, understand that if you just have a regular security clearance, you are very, very careful about every part of your personal life, every part of how you comport yourself in public, uh, everything down to your finances, uh, your appearance at casinos, uh, your your social life to a degree. Um, you know they're looking to make sure that you don't have something that can be a source of compromise. Your appearances matter, your finances matter. These things are important to keep your security clearance. Otherwise, you're easily compromised. So let's turn to this period of time. November 10th, Obama gives a warning to Trump. He obviously ignores that because eight days later, Trump appoints Flynn his national security advisor. This is enough to set off alarm bells, you would think. I mean, this would be enough to make anybody in the White House go, uh, didn't he just tell you about this last week? Uh, more than that, I mean, the people in the intelligence community, pe people in my community, in mid-2016, when we saw Mike Flynn, you know, poke his head up, we're like, wait a minute, he's been hanging out and over in Russia, and that's a that's an insane situation, you know, if you consider that the standard for the regular person is making sure they don't do too many scratchers tickets of yeah. uh, the lottery. Uh, he's hanging out with Vladimir Putin. That's Where did he come from? Where did we get any of these clowns? And yeah. this guy is dangerous. And then when it was announced, oh yeah, he's going to be National Security Advisor, uh, it was like, what? And, and that the, is a very bad thing. <laughs> and the president of the United States, the then sitting president of the United States, was right to be concerned about, you know, this potential Putin plant in the executive branch and raised it with the incoming yeah. president, who should have been equally as concerned about someone like that in his administration, you would think. Agreed. Agreed. But, you would think. But over on the Fox narrative, when you look at their, uh, their newscast every night, you'd think that something untoward was being done by just trying to secure the country against this national security threat. Oh, well, you know, he was just, uh, if you take that, uh, that story that they're trying to push, this could happen to anyone. Yeah. Really? Every, just everyone has a 33-year career in intelligence and made it to the top of one of 17 agencies? Okay. Uh, he was just sitting there, you know, talking to the Russian ambassador about, don't worry about those sanctions. We'll 
take care of those in a few weeks, you know, as one does. I mean, who hasn't interfaced with the sitting ambassador of our historic, uh, uh, you know, counterintelligence uh, adversary? I mean, be- who, who doesn't call them at Christmas on vacation and talk sanctions? Exactly. So there's absolutely no rational reason for anyone to be saying that Obama was out of his you know, out of out of scope here. And really what he did at the end of, t- of the day was just ask people to be very conscious, as far as we know so far, of what they're sharing with the incoming administration. They just released an unclassified, or I should say declassified email from Susan Rice, who is the outgoing national security advisor. And it um, is a memo of some discussions uh, inside the executive branch with uh, James Comey saying, yeah, we have some major reservations that include what can we share with these folks. That is the most conservative, gentle way I've I could imagine it being put mm-hmm. um, because, you know, everyone's hair was on fire. Our hair was on fire outside of uh, the situation room. But, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, you have a guy who is they know is on the payroll. Yeah. Of Big. hostile foreign powers. Had already been so. given money. It was paid $50,000 just to go and sit next to Putin. So God knows what else he's getting. Okay, let's go back to this timeline here then briefly. So we're on to December the 1st. So Kushner and Flynn meet Kislyak at Trump Tower. This is a meeting we don't hear about until much later on, but then it turns out that they did meet. I think Kushner said he, uh, I, I asked if they had an existing communications channel at his embassy we could use. With, oh, this is that meeting. This is the meeting when he asked about, can I have a back channel? Would I, is that yes. possible? So um, treasonous, really. Uh, well, it doesn't look very good. Kislyak apparently came in like the side elevator, uh, so he avoided the hullabaloo of walking in the front door. Right. And, you know, understand that just generally when a, a, a new administration comes in, it, they're in Washington, they're, they're given office space and the transition. And, you know, eventually the Trump people started making their way down there, but they started out hanging out at Trump Tower almost as if they didn't really expect to win and didn't know how anything should work. Mm-hmm. And I was calling people, this is how I kind of ended up with my view by December 11th, 2016, talking to people going, how's it going down there? Oh, they're holed up in Trump Tower. What do you mean? They're not, they didn't go to the Pentagon. They didn't go to the State Department to make their diplomatic calls in order to our allies. It's like, nope. It's like, wow, okay. No, they're just hanging out at Trump Tower taking like random meetings. And there you've got Al Gore and I think Kanye West or whatever. Uh, It it was a real zoo. But in the side door comes the Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak. And we now have... um, I believe some FBI 302s that have been declassified as well as House Intelligence Committee transcripts. And yeah, you see Jared Kushner uh, very breezily explaining, yeah, well, you know, we were, uh, you know, Sergey came by and uh, I mean, who wouldn't want to be friendly? Well, uh, okay, you guys were, there's a difference between like saying hi uh, and, you know, when you're, you've known each other before perhaps, but talking specific policy is a no-no because there's already an administration in place. But having secret meetings with the Russian ambassador and then saying, can we use secure Kremlin communications so we can back channel to Putin, which I believe everybody says Kislyak uh, wisely was like, no, you're insane. Of yeah. course you can't. Let's talk about Jared Kushner here a little bit because Jared's an unelected official. Um, here he is meeting with a ambassador from you know, an enemy state. And he's also going to land up having this incredible portfolio of, that includes all these other uh, big projects that he has. And he has no experience whatsoever. That's a very dangerous meeting to be had. Someone who has no experience in, 
in, in the world of a government, and then someone who's probably compromised by the Russians. Yes, not a good thing. Flynn, who I'll be charitable and say, I think his, his, his worldview really got ahead of him. Um, you know, sometimes when we are, we are not thinking clearly, we can get ourselves in more danger than we understand. Mm-hmm. And, and Kushner, for his part, is a man that understood, uh, to his degree, the world of New York metro real estate with the money coming from outside. Mm-hmm. But anybody who spends time in D.C. tells you or can tell you that humility is really important. And there's a process when you get to Washington, you start forming up some opinions about how this is how this works and that works. And the seniors, both men and women, will smack you down and it mm-hmm. and demonstrate for you in the most stark terms in ways that hopefully, if you're going to stick around, you'll learn quickly just how little you know and mm-hmm. just how dangerous you are if you go off on your own uh, knowledge, which isn't very much. Uh, and it teaches you a hierarchy and to be curious. And uh, Mr. Kushner didn't and still doesn't appear to have much of that. So he's like, sure, you know, we'll just meet with people. You know, we do a deal. It's like, man, everything you do now is under a microscope and being recorded. So this mm. is this is not, you know, we went out to Joey's, they've got great Osobuco. <laughs> we met with the guy and he's got another guy that's from the United Arab Emirates. He's gonna chuck in, he's got like a hundred mil for the fund. We're good and we'll get that bada bing bada boom jersey style. That's not, so not this, man. New so you've got we are now official. <laughs> now he does have some government experience that he knows Bibi Netanyahu quite well. I mean Really well. Other than they, you know, the sleepovers at the Kushner's household was one thing, but beyond that, they seem to have been pretty close over a long period of time, which should have added another sort of red flag to to the situation. You would think. Yes, yes, being either the intelligence target of or asset of a a foreign government, friendly or not, uh, I guess that's one form of uh, government experience. It's not the same thing as rising to the SES uh, senior executive service level at the U.S. government, but it is certainly important. And I, I think, you know, if we didn't have some curiosity around this before, the fact that we now have Rod Rosenstein's declassified memo saying what Robert as Mueller III was allowed to look at uh, from DOJ's perspective uh, in the beginning of the Mueller investigation that it involved George Papadopoulos mm. not merely kicking around London looking for Russians to meet on behalf of Trump, but specifically the question, was he an agent of Israel? Mm. And that was one of the first times I've seen um, you know, something tied to what has become colloquially known as Trump Russia, mm. say, and tell us about Israeli agents. And well, uh, it's interesting because Mueller, in the Mueller report, Mueller does actually say that they investigated Papadopoulos for uh, being an Israeli ad- agent. They don't reach a conclusion, but just the fact that they included it as a possibility is, is enough of an indication they were taking it seriously. Then you've got George Nader who, you know, a lot of people seem to associate him with the UAE and MBZ, but he's also got a history with Netanyahu as well, down to, back to his early days as, as Israeli prime minister the first time around. And Nader has been an emissary for him for a very long time. You know, you add the Epstein thing on top of all of this, and now you've got potentially quite a few agents running around this Trump-Russia operation that belong to Israel. Indeed. And that's uh, an interesting parallel as well with Flynn and Epstein, just to, you know, pose something here at the start of the blue, in that 
we've seen Epstein, who's an Israeli agent. He's not getting prosecuted posthumously or before that. Um, and now Flynn looks like he's getting off. And I'm not saying he's, Flynn is an agent of anyone other than, I mean, he's an agent of Israel. But there is a, there's a sense that Barr Bar is letting some people off the hook um, who might be otherwise associated with foreign governments and, and foreign intelligence. I'd say offhand, Barr looks like he is increasingly arduous in his attempt to cover up as much information as possible about people with connections to foreign governments and, um, you know, a certain, I'm not going to say the, the Israeli government because it's a free democracy mm -hmm. and they certainly have enough elections these days. You know, you never know who they could vote in next, but the, the Bibi Netanyahu, um, you know, administration slash regime, uh, you know, that there is, look, when, when you see Harvey Weinstein using uh, Israeli, uh, either, you know, ex-Israeli Defense Forces operatives so on U.S. Period, soil. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, that's that's a very serious thing. I, I think for, for the folks that, uh, that, are, that are watching this program right now, um, understand that, you know, we have links with other countries when it comes to intelligence, uh, but especially with our allied friends, there is really an understanding that listening on anyone's soil can be a good thing, um, as in they could be catching things on our home soil. Mm -hmm. We might not catch. So if you're listening, even as an ally, that's not considered the worst thing in the world. But uh, op, you know, kinetic operations, uh, you know, people moving around in the black of night, uh, or what's known as black ops, when you're, like, say, kidnapping someone like Mike Flynn was promising to do on behalf of Turkey, or uh, what Black Cube uh, was doing, apparently intimidating actresses into not talking about what they knew about Harvey Weinstein and his associates, There, that's a very serious diplomatic um, breach right mm. there. And, you know, to head, you know, normally that would be accompanied by uh, summoning an ambassador, the revelation that, wait a minute, you have operatives on our soil harassing U.S. persons or U.S. citizens. Uh, come here. We want to talk to you. That is uh, that is a big deal. And, you know, that I think you know, if we were more articulated, articulate about that in bigger, uh, you know, mainstream media sources, maybe people would have gotten a sense of, uh, wow, we have a lot of questions to ask about what Israel is doing here. Because we find out Black Cube had office space that was like in IDF mm -hmm. government uh, real estate. Like they're not so very different because we all have mercenaries. I mean, for thousands of years, you have soldiers that go off and do a thing mm -hmm. for money later. But being under the auspices of a government is very compli complicated. So we've had that now, and we've known about that for years. But now I think what you're seeing with the um, with the revelations and the different documents being declassified, we now have not just a lot of questions about Russia, many of which are answered, but we have a whole lot about Israel, many of which are not answered. Right. And I think there's, you know, if there's been an attempt, I don't know if it's an attempt, because it certainly not, doesn't feel coordinated. There's just sort of a, a sensitivity around how much uh, Israel criticism you can put out there. Because if you do, it tends to inflame sort of anti-Semitic responses in whatever communities that, you know, those things tend to show up. So there's a sensitivity around, can we put this in the media? But maybe too much sensitivity, because we've left so much out of the narrative that you start like looking at it and you're saying, well, there's just too many holes here. Where does all, you know, can you exclude the fact that Joel Zommel 
came to meet with uh, Donald with Don Trump Jr. in August 9th in in uh, Trump Tower and discussed social manipulation of the American public during the election. Can you just leave that out and say, well, that's not Israel. That's that's MBA, MBS and MBZ. We could just it's not Israel. Mm-hmm. It's impossible yep. to do that because Zamal worked, you know, came out of the IDF, came out of that grouping within the IDF that did all this uh, high tech uh, sort of uh, surveillance and manipulation. So that seems to be like an operation that came out of the IDF or certainly an allied uh, private organization. And, uh, you know, as we continue to go through, it's interesting to see where we could find some, some other interesting places where Israel might have, have come up. So the, speaking of which, here's the UN resolution. It's, uh, it's December the 22nd and multiple members, this is uh, reading from Mueller here, uh, multiple members of the transition team as well as President-elect Trump communicated with foreign government officials to determine their views on the resolution and to rally support uh, to delay the vote or defeat the resolution. Kushner led the effort for the transition team. Flynn was responsible for the Russian government. Minutes after an early morning phone call with Kushner on December the 22nd, Flynn called Kislyak. According to Flynn, he informed Kislyak about the vote and the transition team's opposition to the resolution and requested that Russia vote against or delay the resolution. Later that day, President-elect Trump spoke with Egyptian President Abdul Fallah al-Sisi about the uh, vote. Ultimately, Egypt postponed the vote for a day or two, I think it was. But um, this is probably the cornerstone of the Flynn investigation. It comes right down to two things that he, he did. He spoke to, um, to uh, Kislyak about sanctions, but he also initially spoke to Kislyak about uh, this resolution, which was going before the United Nations. Um, Obama had agreed to let the vote go ahead. And this, of course, upset Bibi Netanyahu tremendously. Bibi and Obama had never gotten along well. This was viewed by the uh, Bibi government as a as a bit of a stab in the back as he was leaving office uh, by Obama. Might have been, might have in fact been a little, you know, you've, you've been, you haven't helped me very much. Here's what you can get. But so they had a vote ultimately, uh, and the vote went through. Um, but this intersection, this intervention of uh, first Kushner, then Flynn to intervene while there was a sitting president is, in fact, uh, illegal. Yes. And so tell it's us, illegal. It's illegal because of the Logan Act. It is, um, and which is uh, which has been, you know, not prosecuted mm-hmm. very much or at all, but. Also, we've had a lot of things during the Trump era that have been mostly kept together by tradition, as in, yes, there are laws in the books, or maybe there aren't, but these things take care of themselves because they would be so on their face bad and wrong that we haven't had to worry about it. So Mm -hmm. the notion of there being one president at a time and us having, for example, a lot of pomp and circumstance about turning over the, uh, the power of the White House peacefully, um, with it the uh, the nuclear launch codes and uh, the world's most powerful military, uh, we're, we go to great pains to go. This person's in power now. This person's in power, and they meet with their spouses. And there's handshakes. There's not you know a paramilitary group that seizes the radio station and says you know we're declaring uh, it's year zero of this new republic. That's not what we do. So one president at a time, and that is legally sealed by the Logan Act, but I don't believe it had ever been tested. But this time, 
it got tested because uh, Flynn and, and, and Kushner did not wait. Uh, and they started conducting foreign policy on their own while there was already a group of Americans duly elected and already sworn in that were conducting uh, their own foreign policy. So it I, was I completely contradictory, one. completely contradictory. I mean, they were mm-hmm. doing different things against each other. This was not just them you know, freelancing on something that the Obama administration was not working on. This was something. And only Obama- one side, only one side was teamed up with the Russians going, what do you guys want? What <laughs> right. do you need? Right. And would you please? So, and teamed up with Israel, actually. Te- well, I should say more accurately, teamed up with Bibi Netanyahu. Because the request came from Bibi Netanyahu to stop the, um, to stop this vote or move it along. It was their interests that uh, Trump and Kushner and Flynn were protecting when they decided to intervene, um, uh, you know, before being elected or before being sworn in. So that's a, a significant, it's not just Russia, it's Israel that was doing that. And what I also find interesting from that clip that you just put up, the quote mm. from the Mueller report, mm. is how the linchpin was Egypt. And right. uh, Trump talked to Egypt. Uh, I just got done looking at thousands of pages of the House Intelligence Committee transcripts that were declassified. And uh, I thought that the Simona Mangiante uh, transcripts would be kind of light uh, and not that substantive, uh, 40, 50 pages compared to everyone else's 250. No, no, hers was 222 pages about what her either soon-to-be husband or recently betrothed uh, George Papadopoulos uh, was up to in Europe. And uh, she was very articulate about the fact that, oh, he was there to get connections going between Trump and and Putin, maybe a meeting, you know, like he had with al-Sisi in Egypt. He'd already done that, and now he's there to, to complete the, the, the loop there. So you've got this very, very complicated uh, set of alliances there that are not uh, evident to the average person just from reading the news. So you have... Um, some people that are very, uh, very friendly with Russia, if not Russian money, at least. Um, uh, then you have, uh, you know, Jared Kushner's noted uh, connections to Bibi Netanyahu. So you have uh, some some working alongside Israel there, but you also have an Egypt connection, and they're all working together to delay a vote in the United Nations. Only one of them, one group of these people are about to inherit the White House from the other group that already has the White House and is trying to conduct U.S. foreign policy without the no doubt well-meaning help of the the Russian Federation in making those decisions. So it's kind of sticky. Support Narrative's independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative and check out our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to subscribe and download.